Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Again, I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development, and I welcome each of you here this morning, whether you're joining us by the live stream or are here in person. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you're with us. If you're with us on the live stream and you have the ability to do so, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. If you're visiting in person, I am pleased to announce that this morning we are reopening our fellowship hall, Housen Hall. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite those of you who are with us over the live stream to greet each other in the comments if you have the ability to do so. And those of you who are here in person to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. And you might also greet our live stream folks at the camera on the back wall. Good morning. Let's join together in saying the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as we struggle for To have faith is to trust yourself to the water. When you swim, you don't grab hold of the water, because if you do, you will sink and drown. Instead, you relax and float. Yes. 
One of the things that binds us together as a religious community, as well as drives all of our ministries, decision-making, and programs, is our mission. The congregation created it together, and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week, we've been having a moment for beloved community to further explore what we mean by that term. Our moment for beloved community today features a video on tips for being an ally that is promoted by today's featured recipient of our monthly special offerings, the Austin Justice Coalition. I'll tell you more about that after the video. Hey friends, so I'm trying something different with my setup and I don't know if it's working, but you will deal. <laughs> Imagine your friend is building a house and they ask you to help, but you've never built a house before. So it'd probably be a good idea for you to put on some productive gear and listen to the person in charge. Otherwise, someone's gonna get seriously hurt. Look, I'm helping. It's the exact same idea when it comes to being an ally. An ally is a person that wants to fight for the equality of a marginalized group that they're not a part of. We need your help building this house, but you probably should listen so you know what to do first. Let's do this. So here are my five tips for being a good ally. Understand your privilege. Now a lot of people get hung up on the word privilege, so let me break it down for you nice and easy. Privilege does not mean that you are rich, that you've had an easy life, that everything's been handed to you and you've never had to struggle or work hard. All it means is that there are some things in life that you will not experience or ever have to think about just because of who you are. It's kind of like those horses that have those blinders on. They can see just fine. There's just a whole bunch of stuff on the side that they don't even know exists. So for example, there are currently 29 states where you can legally be fired for being gay. And there are 34 states where you can legally be fired for being trans. Now as a straight cis woman, those are things that I don't have to ever think about if I don't want to. I'm not going to be fired because I'm straight and I'm not going to be fired because I'm cis. So it makes sense that before I can fight for the rights of others, I have to understand what rights I have and others don't. That's privilege. Listen and do your homework. It sounds like a no-brainer, but it's not possible for you to learn if you aren't willing to listen. So you gotta know when to zip up the lipa. I don't know. You get what I mean. But that's the thing that's so cool about social media. There are so many people sharing their stories all around the world and connecting with people that they normally would never get a chance to without the power of the internet. So do your homework. Start reading blogs, tweets, news articles, and stories so that you can get caught up on the issues that are important to the communities that you want to support. Speak up but not over. If the fight for equality was a girl group, the ally wouldn't be the lead singer or the second lead singer. They'd be Michelle. An ally's job is to support. You want to make sure that you use your privilege and your voice to educate others, but make sure to do it in such a way that does not speak over the community members that you're trying to support or take credit for things that they are already saying. This isn't Mario Kart. Stay in your lane. Realize that you're going to make mistakes and apologize when you do. Nobody's perfect. Unlearning problematic things takes time and work, so you are bound to mess up and trip and fall. Okay. But don't worry, you can brush yourself off and get right back up. I'm back up! Just remember that it's not about your intent, it's about your impact. So when you get called out, make sure to listen, apologize, commit to changing your behavior, and move forward. Last, but certainly not least, Actually, the most important thing on this list is remember that ally is a verb. Saying you're an ally is not enough. 
You got to do the work. One through four. One through four. Each month, we take up a special offering, and then at the end of each year, divide the proceeds from the special offerings among several worthy nonprofits working to build beloved community. As I mentioned earlier, this month's featured organization is the Austin Justice Coalition. The Austin Justice Coalition, or AJC, serves people who are historically and systematically impacted by gentrification, segregation of over-policing, a lack of educational and employment opportunities, and other institutional forms of racism in Austin. AJC's mission is to improve the quality of life for people of color by helping them to be the driving force behind their own liberation. To find out more, see the online newsletter, or you can go directly to austinjustice.org. That's austinjustice.org. Thank you in advance for your generous support of the Austin Justice Coalition. So this book is called The Year We Learned to Fly by Jacqueline Woodson and illustrated by Rafael Lopez. That was the year we learned to fly. That was the spring when the rain seemed like it would never stop and the thunder boomed so hard we weren't allowed to go outside. Use those beautiful and brilliant minds of yours, grandmother said. Lift your arms, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and believe in Somebody somewhere at some point was just as bored as you are now. So my brother and I closed our eyes, and after a few minutes that first day, we weren't stuck in our apartment anymore. We were flying over the city in our whole lives, but it was suddenly different exploding with every kind of flower we'd ever dreamed of growing. That was the summer we learned to fly, when my brother and I couldn't stop fussing with each other over whose turn it was to wash the windows, to feed the dog, to clean the kitchen. We fought and frowned and made silent promises to never speak to each other ever again. My grandmother said, Lift your arms. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And stop being so mean about everything. Somebody, somewhere, just as mad as you are now. So we did. And as the soft wind took us out over the city and past the windows of kids who hadn't yet and I reached for each other's hand, flying and diving and laughing and leaving all of our mad far behind us. That was the autumn our rooms felt too big, lonely, with only us in them and the darkness coming on so fast. But while we hugged ourselves against the too quiet of it all, we remembered that we didn't have to be stuck anywhere anymore. My grandmother had learned to fly from the people who came before. They were aunts and uncles and cousins who were brought here on huge ships, their wrists and ankles cuffed in iron. But, my grandmother said, nobody can ever cuff your beautiful and brilliant mind. So our people learned to fly, she said. They dreamed a thing, 
and made it happen, closed their eyes and flew away home. Lift your arms, my grandmother said. Close your eyes. And remember, somebody somewhere at some point had to figure out they could fly. That was the winter we moved away from the building and the block and the friends we'd always known to a street where the kids looked at us funny and didn't even answer when we asked them if they wanted to play. It's okay, I said to my brother. Somebody, somewhere, at some point, had to figure out they were ready for any new thing coming their way. So like the people who came before us, we lifted our arms ever higher, closed our eyes even tighter, breathed in even deeper, and flew the way we'd always known how to, free as the aunties and uncles and cousins who'd come before us, free as our own beautiful and brilliant minds. For a long time, the kids on the ground watched us, and one by one, they lifted their arms. One by one, they too learned to fly. First Lesson by Philip Booth Lie back, daughter. Let your head be tipped back in the cup of my hand. Gently, and I will hold you. Spread your arms wide. Lie out on the stream and look high at the gulls. A dead man's float is face down. You will dive and swim soon enough where this tide water ebbs to the sea. Daughter, believe me, when you tire on the long thrash to your island, lie up and survive. As you float now, where I hold you and let go, remember, when fear cramps your heart, what I told you, lie gently and wide to the light year stars. Lie back, and the sea will hold you. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Some of us pray, some meditate, some speaks to God as they know God. Some simply follow their breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where we can know transformation, a place where our deepest faith resides that place where a spark of the divine exists within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together. Breathing in, breathing out. Let us enter into that time of sacred silence. I invite you now, as, as you are so moved, to light a candle. If you're at home, you may light one there.
If you're here in the sanctuary, please feel free to light a candle in our window. Candles of sorrows, joys, hopes, remembrances. Recently, I was walking past a group of our church folks talking to each other after a Sunday service. I overheard them discussing how many challenging and difficult things we've all been through over the past few years. One person asked, what's next, locusts? The rest of the group replied in unison, we've already done that. And indeed, that's true. We did have an invasion of locusts threatening the food supply in parts of Africa during the pandemic. We've endured a lot during the past few years. I think back to after the election in November 2016. I remember having to bring in chairs and place them against the back wall of the sanctuary because we had so many people coming to the church seeking comfort that we ran out of seating. Seeking comfort because of being so terribly distressed. Now, no matter what any of us thinks about the results of that election, the feelings people had during that time of great fear for themselves or others they loved were palpable and real. And that, of course, was then followed by much more And I'm sure I'm going to leave some things out here. Political turmoil and division continued and increased. Our building and sanctuary got torn up for our renovations. The COVID-19 pandemic began and the losses because of it grew exponentially. We went through the great freeze and snowpocalypse, many of us going for days without electricity or water or both. We've seen even more explicit racism, other forms of oppression, hate crimes, attacks against those who protested against these things. We witnessed an insurrection at our national capital and other attempts to overthrow a legitimate election. 
the aforementioned locusts. And, and an invasion of giant murder hornets in the state of Washington that threatened to spread to other areas of the country. And more recently now, huge parachuting spiders are invading the East Coast. I guess because locusts and murder hornets weren't enough. More seriously, we also got the difficult news that our beloved senior minister is having to retire for health reasons at the end of this church year. And we've been seeing the horrible events coming out of what is quickly turning toward genocide in Ukraine. The spiritual topic we're exploring in the church this month is renewing faith. Before we go into that further, though, I want to stop and acknowledge that laundry list I just recited of difficulties we have all faced in the past few years. It's starting to feel like we're competing with the biblical story of Job. In such difficult times, it can be hard to even maintain our faith. It can be hard not to lose our faith. And yet, my beloveds, I believe we must cling to faith, help one another renew it over and over again. Labor, anti-war, and civil rights activist A.J. Musty was once asked by a reporter, do you really think you're going to change the policies of this country by standing out there alone at night in front of the White House with a candle? Musty softly replied, Oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so the country won't change me. Based partially on that quote, the folks at Soul Matters who provide us with our monthly spiritual topics and supporting materials created a description of what faith might mean for Unitarian Universalists that I really, really like. Because of that, I'm going to quote from it a little more extensively than I might normally. They write, how do we renew our faith when so much is falling apart? In these fragile days, we who assess life through the fire of reason find so little reason to trust that everything's going to be okay. Don't tell us it's slowly getting better. Don't ask us to deny this feeling of despair that feels so real. On so many days, we have lost our hope for a better day. But we do long for it, don't we? Despite the setbacks and slowness, there remains something inside that continues to say, it can be better. More is possible. I need to believe that goodness is real. Maybe faith is more about remembering our longing for what we love and who we want to be. Maybe the peacenik was right. We must remain faithful to the fight, not because change is guaranteed, but to ensure that we are not changed. I love that they acknowledge that faith is about who we are and want to be and that faith must embrace uncertainty. 
As author and activist Anne Lamott puts it, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Embracing uncertainty also allows us to remain open to a sense of awe, wonder, and mystery. None of these reside within certainty. And while it often makes us terribly uncomfortable, uncertainty is the realm within which new possibilities arise. To all of this, I would add that I also find faith in our love for one another and all that is. My faith so often gets renewed through connection and belonging. I think we need one another to continually renew our faith. We can help each other sense the beauty to be found even within our struggles and times of great uncertainty. Help each other hold true to our values. Buddhist teacher and author Sharon Salzberg has a great way of viewing faith based upon the Buddhist concept of sada, which has to do with trust, faith, conviction. Literally translated, it means to place the heart upon. She says, faith is an unfolding of the heart that's based on love for ourselves and being able to reach out to others and let others reach out to us, to have a bigger picture of life where there's a sense of belonging and connection instead of feeling so alone and apart. I want to share with you a time when this church's love And this religious community's willingness to embrace uncertainty helped renew my faith. Some of you will remember this story from several years ago. The church had agreed to offer sanctuary to Sulma, an immigrant from Guatemala who was being threatened with deportation to her home country. Because she had been an LGBTQI rights activist back in her home country, being sent back there could have put her life in danger. Allowing Sulma to live in our church might prevent federal authorities from deporting her because of a long-standing federal policy and tradition about not entering churches to detain immigrants. Well, just before Sulma moved into the church, I ended up in a pretty rough time. My stepdad had died only the month before. My spouse, Wayne, had been battling some very serious health challenges, and his health insurance company was refusing to pay for a procedure he badly needed. Then I got a call that my mom was in the hospital, in part because her insurance had delayed a medical treatment she needed for far too long. Both mom and Wayne are doing much better since then, but that was a pretty low point for me. I'm a humanist to the extent extent that I tend to have an overall faith in the ultimate goodness of humanity. I'm a mystic theist to the extent that I normally have this sense of connection to something much larger than myself, an ultimate source of love of which I am a part and hold a part of within me. 
I have to admit, though, at that point, I was losing that faith in humanity. That connection to a love larger than myself seemed far away and in danger of slipping completely out of reach. And then, to get ready to welcome Sulma, I put out an email announcement to the church with a list of furniture and other items we needed from folks so they could donate them in order to make a makeshift apartment for Sulma inside the church. I went to bed that evening exhausted and didn't check to see if there were any replies. I got up the next morning to an email inbox full of new messages from church members offering to help. We had several offers for every single item that we had listed. We had offers of things that we hadn't even thought about. People wrote to me to say, I don't really have any of that stuff, but if you come up with other stuff you might still need, I'll just go out and buy it. Then we found out that Sulma didn't have her own bed that she could bring with her, so I sent out another message. Almost immediately, after just a couple of minutes, two replies appeared in my inbox at virtually the same time. One of them said, I have a very nice queen-size mattress, but I don't have box springs to go with it. The other said, I have a queen-size box springs, but no mattress. Now, I am a dyed-in-the-wool Unitarian, but I could have sworn something called the Holy Spirit was moving through my email inbox about then. This church's outpouring of generosity and compassion renewed my faith and reconnected me with that wonderful and sustaining sense of being a part of something so much larger than myself. And I think that putting our faith into action, like we did with offering sanctuary for Soma and later for Illyrio, all of our work for justice in our world is another way we can keep our faith renewed. If we fail to put it into action, our faith may well wither. To quote Anne Lamott again, Faith without works is dead. It's just not nice to sit around. You can sit around in your prayer breakfast with all this faithy faith and all this talking and thinking and hallelujahing, and it's nothing. It's nothing to God. I mean, I think it pisses God off. <laughs> I'll close by talking about how this church has once again helped me keep my faith alive. It was on March 13th, two years ago, that our senior minister, Meg, sent out an announcement that the COVID pandemic had reached a level where we would have to close the church building. Shortly thereafter, we suspended in-person religious education classes and in-person meetings inside the building, and we began providing the worship service over the Internet. In the two years since... And really, throughout the litany of tribulations I outlined at the beginning of this sermon, this religious community, you, have kept the faith. You have continued to participate in and sustain the church. 
support one another, and live our mission principles and values in the world in any ways that were possible. You have continued to express the love in beloved community. And didn't that video earlier from our youth choir nourish our sense of communal faith? Through it all, we have maintained a healthy religious community that, as our senior minister Meg put it recently, has nurtured a culture of compliments rather than complaints. What a remarkable people of faith whom I feel so blessed to be able to serve. And here we are, together again, having learned because of the pandemic that together means both those of us who are able to gather in person and those who join us virtually are through other ways of participating in this religious community. Having learned that together is possible even when it must be from a distance. We have been through some tough times together, haven't we? But you know, even in less exigent times, each of us will face challenges in our lives that will test our faith. Most of us will one day find ourselves less able than we may be today. For each of us, tomorrows will eventually come that no longer include us, at least not in our current form. And yet, together, we can keep our faith eternally renewed because even in those tomorrows, morning will still break. The sun will still rise. So now, today, the way we live and the love we give each other in our world plants seeds that we can truly believe may provide sustenance and shelter after that eventual tomorrow has broken. And for all I know, That's what faith is. Amen and blessed be. And now let's say together the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our benediction are words from our UU minister, Reverend Scott Taylor, in a piece called A First Step Faith, based upon the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who said, Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Reverend Taylor writes, Go with faith, not the kind that is called to move mountains, but the quieter sort that calls us to take the first step even when the whole staircase sits beyond our view. And as we stride toward the unseen, may we notice that the way unfolds only as we risk walking it. And may we remember and trust 
that none of these steps are ones we take alone. Go in peace. I send you much love. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.